Welcome to an episode of Weekly Weights. We lift weights and we are mates. On the weekend, we go on dates. Weekly Weights, Tim and Buddy. Weekly Weights with Alex and Will. Welcome to Weekly Weights. My name's Will. With me, as always, is Alex Hayes. And joining us on the podcast today is none other than Hattie Boydell. Hattie, would you like to say hi? Hey, everyone. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Hattie's admitted off air that she's a little bit nervous, but I think she's probably done more podcasts in the last two weeks than Alex and I have recorded total, just she was telling me prior to the episode. We're hugely honoured to have you here, Hattie. Um, many people listening to the podcast would probably know you. But something that I admire about you as a professional is that you actually have your finger in a lot of pies. You're known both, well, you know, both as a physique athlete and as somebody who is a really strong, authentic strength trainer as well. So, could you maybe give people who don't know who you are just the crash course of who you are, what you do, and what your interests are in training? Oh, thank you. Yeah, hey everyone. Um, yeah, my name's Hattie. Um, I'm a physique athlete, so I've been um, competing since 2011. Uh, became a pro athlete around 2014 and I was uh, the 2016 WBFF world uh, champion uh, fitness model um, I still compete with that federation but um, as much as that has uh, I guess grown myself my name in the industry I think I got a lot of um, a lot of really great feedback from the strength work that I do um, I own the sports water project so I teach girls what I like to say um, is a journey of transformation learning about themselves learning how to lift learning how to I guess be the best version of themselves it's essentially what I go through in my own journey um, I love lifting I really love lifting I've never done a powerlifting comp before but sometimes I think I want to do one uh, but it kind of clashes a little bit with some of the the physique goals that I have um, but yeah that's yeah that's kind of where I'm at so Alex and myself obviously despite how good our physiques are we sit right at the sort of strength end of the spectrum in terms of what motivates us and what draws us to training. Um, but I think something that you see when, like, among people who have been training for a very long time or who are just general gym enthusiasts is some appreciation both of what physique sport is and entails and what strength strength sports are and entail. So for you as somebody who does sort of dabble in both or more than dabbles, can you maybe tell us what it is about either end of the spectrum that most attracts you? Yeah, I guess, um, look, I was, I've always been competitive. I was an elite gymnast when I was um, growing up, so I started when I was four. Um, was meant to go to the Commonwealth Games uh, and train day night, and I used to train down at the AIS, and so... For gymnastics? For gymnastics. Did you know that? that um, I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, so that, that taught me a lot. It taught me how to move, it taught me strength, power, um, skill. I used to train 32 hours a week more than what I'd ever do in a competition prep. Um, and I just love sport. Um, and, you know, the thing about physique, you know, I, I laugh because I'm like, if I, w- I'd be, if I wasn't so vain, I'd be, I'd be fat because I love food so much. But it's kind of kept me in a position where how can I, I guess, expend all this energy to improve not only how I feel but how I look and strength sports or strength training has had a huge impact on my overall well-being. Um, I suffer from anorexia a few years in my in my teens, and um, so for a long time, training was all about the way I looked, and it got really dark. It was it was um, what's the word? It was tiring. 
It was really tiring, just always being about the way I looked. Um, and it wasn't until I got introduced to strength training uh, by Sebastian Oreb in about 2013 that he introduced me to just being strong. And that had a huge, huge impact on my life. It wasn't about the way I looked anymore, even though I had a sport that was all about the way I looked. It shifted, the whole thing shifted. The preparation for the show was all about how do I improve my performance every single week? How do I just add that little bit more weight to the bar? And it literally was life-changing for me. Like, I love feeling strong. I love feeling strong. I love looking good. Like, there's no way around that. But strength to me is so empowering and it doesn't matter what you look like anyone can be strong anyone can be strong and I love that the movement for women in particular in the last couple of years has transitioned into being strong is is powerful and being strong is beautiful you know more than just being skinny or anything like that because it is actually just how you perform how do you outperform yourself every single week? That's what I'm interested in for myself, for my clients. And I use that as a base, always of a base, my foundations for my physique shows. I'll, I'll squat, mostly squat um, all the way through. I take deadlifting out because I just get too, too thick in places that I, I can't be thick, like my lumbar and my, my traps and everything. But deadlifting is probably the most amazing feeling in the world when you, hit, when you get strong in that, in that movement. Um, and I guess I've really attracted women who want to be strong. So now I get to work with women that want to feel empowered, um, want to have that physical and mental transformation of enjoying their body, being confident in the weights room, learning how to move properly and learning how to throw some weights around. Can you, um, can you compare the feeling of hitting a PR in the gym versus hitting a certain physique milestone? Like what are the differences Ooh. in those two things? Good question. That's oh, they're so different. Oh. <laughs> it's funny. I love dieting. <laughs> I love That's dieting because I, bizarre. because like, yeah, I know. Cause I'm really good at it. Um, but, um, seeing that number go down each week is addictive, but also seeing the numbers go up in the weight room is also addictive. And I mean, hitting a personal best on a, on a deadlift or a squat, like there's a whole amount of anxiety that runs through your veins. Like, you know it's coming <laughs> like and if you walk into the weights room and it's feeling good i often like look at bass and be like right what am i aiming for okay like it's feeling good let's just go for it and and often the times that i hit like i hit a personal best of 160 a 160 sumo which i was 20 kilos over my max so not a deadlift oh it is a deadlift <laughs> Um, There's all these poor impressionable ooh. physique athletes listening who are like, oh shit, am I not allowed to sumo anymore just because of No, that. it's a running joke on the podcast that we uh, oh. say sumo cheating. And neither yeah, of us are any good at it. So. Oh, <laughs> do you know what? It used to hurt my hips. I used to say, oh my God, my boy hips. I've got little hips. It used to really hurt, but I just wasn't doing it right. And I, and I went too heavy too early. Mm. Um, but yeah, a few weeks ago, I hit a personal best on my sumo and it just felt like amazing. Like it, the, the adrenaline was so high in my system, um, and that like that you walk away just thinking, "Fuck, I'm like the strongest woman in the world." <laughs> um, There's something um, yeah. sort of qualitatively different. Like I've dieted here and there. Yeah. I've given up a long time ago, but like I've done it. <laughs> and when, um, when you like when you lose weight, it's a kind of 
it's a bit of an all-encompassing effort. Mm. Like you change your lifestyle, you worry about all of your meals and all that stuff, and then you track your body weight and you see week by week mm. those numbers go down, and you get like validation on this effort that's very complete. Mm. But there's no one moment that like crystallizes all of that. You just do something all the time and see progress on the scale. Mm. Whereas when you lift weights and hit a PB, like you're still putting in effort over a long period of time yeah. to earn that PB. But there is a moment where you do it. Mm. And that that element of testing yourself is something that really draws me. Like I can put in 12 or 14 really hard weeks of training and it still has to culminate in one lift for me to really see improvement and realize it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, 100%. I think like... For Hattie, that moment would be when you get on stage, right? When you like all that work you've done and yeah. however many weeks is coming into place in that one, you know, few hours of show, right? Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I love competing, but on the stage day is my least favorite. Mm. That's something you've said to me before that you just get so nervous. You, I get so nervous, but it's the, it's the process. It's day in, day out, working, yeah. waking up. Mm. Like, Thanks for plugging my yo, yo. business. <laughs> yeah. Like waking up with a purpose every single day. Mm. Like getting strong while I'm getting leaner. Like that is fulfilling. It's always, and I always have a base of strength. Always. It's always about improving the lift, getting stronger every week, um, dieting on as much food as possible to get the job done. And I always, I also think of myself as a bit of an all-rounder. I can get fit really quickly I can get strong pretty quickly and I can step on stage at an elite level that's because I put in so much effort into training there's such a it's so important to me to be able to do that an anecdote about how much you obviously love the process I used to train a lady in the mornings on every Wednesday Clarissa and she's a gym enthusiast she just loves it and one day we walked upstairs and Hattie was pumping away on the Airdyne bike or something upstairs at Lift Performance <laughs> Centre. And I think you were three or four weeks out from... You were, like, going to fly off to the Bahamas to compete or something shortly after. And you were lathered in sweat and breathing at about 120 breaths a minute. Like, you were just... You looked at the point of death. And you Thank had you. a grin ear to ear. And you, and you turned around to Clarissa and started saying, you know, how good is this? Like, I just love training so much. Are you having a good time? And you gave her three minutes of just, like, chapter and verse about how great the gym is. <laughs> and, we, and, and we made an about phase and walked downstairs to get to training. And she was like, who is that crazy lady? I've never, <laughs> I've never seen somebody love training so hard in my whole life. And I was like, uh, me either, if I'm honest. It was nuts. To add to that, you also mentioned just before we started recording <laughs> that you used to pay someone twice a week to just stretch, stretch you me. <laughs> so like even you can even add flexibility to the list oh i'm so bad at mobility i do all the i do like i'm all yang no yin <laughs> i'm trying to work on that one but, um yeah um but it is interesting you sort of like you've you've actually given us a really long exposition about the things that motivate you and and now you said like strength is always there for you like that's mm. your home even when you're even when you're prepping for physique or when you're mm. in your off season like you base things around strength but I think it'd be remiss of us to jump right ahead to talking about that without going back to where you started. Because you said that you had battled anorexia nervosa. You said you had dissatisfaction with what training was like to you when it was all just about how you looked. Mm-hmm. So what was it that motivated you initially to get into the gym and to start competing? And then was there like a light bulb moment that drew you more towards what you're doing now? Whether it was just meeting Seb or whether it was like a change in your self-concept? Yeah, so it's funny. I've only just... Um, started talking about this particularly because I had seminars and I got into the weights room um, so I was sick right and I got out of hospital 
And my sis- my mum said to my sister, would you just bloody take her out? I had a, f- I had a fake ID, went out <laughs> underage. Like, I'm like so tiny and my mum's my like, just get her out, like get her living again. Like she nearly bloody died. And, and so my sister takes me out and I remember walking down the street in King's Cross and these, these um, security guards of all bodybuilders like, whoa, look at your calves. And I'm like, huh? And they're like, do you train? I'm like, in my head, I'm like, I run fucking miles. <laughs> and he's like, you should, you, can I take you to the gym? And I was like, yeah, sure. Took me to the gym. And I was like, wait, the security guard security from the guard. cross took yeah. you to the gym. Yeah. That is weird. I know. <laughs> yeah. I know. Go I was on. like, okay. Took me to the gym, started training. And I was like, what is this place? Like, this is amazing. Started doing my personal training course. Um, and, I, and I knew after being in hospital that I wanted to help women. I looked around and I was like, I need to help these women. There's got to be another way. We, we can't keep doing this to ourselves. I can't keep doing it to myself. This is not the way of living. And so that combined with getting into the gym and being like, oh, what is this space? This is really enjoyable to doing my personal training course was the first kind of transition to finding something else to do and looking after myself. Then I didn't start competing to 2011 and I was inspired by Miss Nadia Norman. I don't know if you, if you guys oh, no, know no, her. No, 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 and um, she did a physique show and she was like, you should do this. You, you'd kill it. And I was like, oh, okay, like I like competing. I'm pretty competitive. And like I was already in good shape and eight weeks later, get on stage. Um, and, you know, everything I did at that time was amateur. Everything. The way I did my food, you know, I just counted calories. I cut out fruit, cut out dairy. And I was kind of felt myself trans like kind of everyone was really worried about me like obviously I started restricting things again Mm. and and you know I'd get on stage and I'd and I'd win my shows and I felt really unsatisfied because I knew I could do better Mm. I knew there was a better way and um I still found myself like after the show I had habits that were creeping in that I didn't want to pursue I was like okay I'm quite aware of myself right now um, I need to get some help. So I reached out. Um, I think Lane Norton, Norton was my first uh, coach. He taught me macros, which is what I still use today. So that, um, you know, f- macro tracking, um, flexibility. And then um, uh, I met Bass really – well, I met him actually at the FMA, the first ever FMA course with Mark Buckley many, many years ago. Um, and then I met him again um, at this charity event and they were like, oh, can you do this deadlifting competition? Can you do this bench competition? And it was like in the middle of a mass nutrition store. And um, so I get under the bench and I go into an arched bench, uh, bench press and he's like, excuse me, where did you learn how to do that? And I was like, um, FMA. And he's like, I've met you before. And then from that day, and I did this deadlift competition, I should have gone last, so I would have won. <laughs> um, he was like, oh, do you, do you do any lifting? And I was like, oh, I train a bit. Didn't train my legs because I got told I had big legs from my boyfriend at the time and he called me thunder thighs. So I... Shout out, shout him out. <laughs> no. I was like, oh, so I better run then. Um, so I didn't like really train my legs, just train upper body. Then, um, yeah, started coming in to, to see Bass. And I remember so well at the time... You know, we did a couple of squats and I said to him, look, I'm only going to train once a week because I don't want to have bigger legs. And he was like, yeah, okay. And then he told me to sit down for four minutes and I was like, what is this? Like, why? I've come to you for a session and I've got to sit down for four minutes. And it was like this, like this tension between us. And I was like, um, like, I don't think I'm going to come back again. Anyway, I ended up coming back. Next thing you know, I'm training twice, twice a week, three times a week, four times a week. And then at one stage, I was squatting six days a week, six days a week getting ready for for my 2016 
world titles, which I end up winning. And yeah. so the base of that that year of, tra- of training was all <laughs> all squatting. I wouldn't do that now. There's no way I could do it now. Um, but yeah, it just my my love grew for strength training. And I remember the first prep I ever did. I think it was 2014, my first world titles. And it was the first time I didn't place in a show, but I felt the most satisfied. I remember going, this is the best I've ever looked. I followed a program. I got strong. Look at all these things I achieved. Before I even got to stage, I was like, I was so, so strong. And so that, yeah, of course, I would have liked to have placed, but I, I could look back and go, well, look at all the things I did. Like, look at where I'm at. And that was a huge opening to to my love of strength training, but even just taking my physique and mental performance to the next level. Because, you know, if, if you want to reach those, that, you know, 90% of your top strength, you have to be switched on. You have to have confidence. You have to practice. It's all a part of the process. You can't come in and wing it all the time, as you guys know. Like, think about how hard you work to get two and a half, five kilos on your squat, your deadlift, when you're at that top strength where you're at. So... It just changed the game for me with um, the love for physique, for, for my physique sport. You know, I have to have strength work in there. There's, I just don't enjoy it as much. I can do volume till the cows come home, but it's it's the strength work that I really, really enjoy. And if you, I, th- I think if you really enjoy something and you're really engaged in something, you're actually going to give it more effort as well. 100%. So that's probably why you've got the results that you've gotten because you've really immersed yourself in the process of trying to get stronger and you've actually enjoyed it and you've tried to get better repeatedly, repeatedly. And then that's sort of been a catalyst for improving your physique. Yeah, definitely. That, yeah, absolutely love that. But also um, it plays a huge role, I think, with foundation seasons, you know, mm. getting a little bit heavier and, and still focusing on that performance again stepping away from the aesthetics thing even though as you get stronger like your physique has to change it's going to change if you are good with your, your nutrition um, and that's kind of that's the same rules and things I like to put onto my girls it's like okay cool so while we're away from stage let's get really strong let's build this muscle and if we don't need it later we just we can detrain it we can change exercise we can change course to to down downplay certain muscle groups but let's just build it first like let's get to that point first um, and that's why, like, with, with deadlifts, I'm going to have to take them out again pretty soon. But I love doing them. And while I can do them, I'm going to try and get as strong as I can because um, they are such a great physique builder. So it's like you can't linearly advance to your perfect perfect physique, right? No. Like, you're going to have to take detours on the way. But something that you said, like, your exact words in part of your answer was that you looked back on your prep and you thought about all these things you've done that you're proud of. Mm. And I think maybe one of the big valuable things about strength training in off-seasons for physique athletes is while you're actually moving visually away from the physique that you want your Mm. final package to be, if you can in the process be like, wow, I'm doing all these things that give me a big emotional kick, then that makes you feel good about the training process in a way you wouldn't otherwise. Does, Does that ring true to you? He said again. So, so like on stage, you want to have a certain look. Yes. Right. And your perfect physique is just advancing that certain look Mm. year by year. But in order to get there, sometimes you have to, like you said, gain weight and do foundation seasons, or you have to spend time away from the stage or from Mm -hmm. being stage lean and dieting. And when you do strength training in that time, even though your physique isn't going directly towards what you want in the end goal, because you are having to put some weight on and things like that, 
while you're doing the strength training, you're ticking off milestones and doing things that you're proud of in the gym. Does that make sense? You're hitting PBs. You're training in a way that's meaningful to you. Yeah, but it, there's still... I still... Like, the way I do the pro, my programming in my foundation season is all still with the end goal for improving my physique for the next year. So bigger glutes is most of, most of um, like, always my, my main goal and slightly bigger shoulders. So I can't stray too far away from that it's always at the end goal it's just like how do we how do I create it in a way that yeah has fulfilling roles in it particularly as I start to get heavier as the girls get heavier um but or it's important that I tie into the girls training program what this means for this long-term result Mm. you know because it's it's hard to take the hardest thing I've found, even with myself, is taking girls through a foundation season and, and putting weight on. Mm. And that's definitely a skill that I'm always trying to refine within myself and the girls because it's just it's hard. You know, that everyone says they want to put muscle on, but when when the rubber hits the road mm. and we have to do the practical work, it's it's hard. That's something that Will and I have spoken about on the podcast a little bit with regards to particularly females trying to get them to go up a weight class mm. and they feel like it's just so far away, like the next weight class might be six or eight kilos away. Mm. And they feel like they're, they're so far away from that. Would you be able to like impart some of the communication wisdom that you use on your clients in those phases? Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't, I don't train anyone for um, powerlifting meets. However, I do give them... Um, a top weight that I like them to hit along with top like set goals of calories that we work to and I say this is the time frame that we're going to have um, when you do your check-in we're going to try and hit this amount of kilos within you know four months as an example some girls are happy to go <laughs> up there really quickly and so therefore their jumping calories are going to be greater some girls are a little bit slower and that's I just say look the longer that you push out um, allowing me to give you more food and taking on that process the further away that end goal result is going to be so if you want to get if you want to compete in six months time we don't have that much time to put muscle on like we all know that muscle takes months to build right and then you have to cut so when I outline it, it's like, cool, so you've got, we've got six months to do this. Well, we kind of need to hit this amount of calories within this time frame, and you need to stay up there for as long as possible. Otherwise, that goal of getting on stage with two kilos extra muscle, which is really hard to do, especially if you're not a beginner, then you're going to have to push out your, your competition date. And something I say across the board always is, like, I spend an entire year getting ready for one show, an entire year. My entire year revolves around that one show. You're giving yourself six months and you have not got the muscle mass to do this. Let's spend time in a foundation season. Let's get your hormones healthy. Let's have regulate regular cycles. Get your food up. Get your performance up. Let's hit some personal best. Let's try and hit 100 kilos on your squat or 120 kilos on your deadlift. Like, What are the goals that are going to tie them, the physical performance goals? It could be a 10RM. It doesn't have to be a 1RM. That are going to tie them into eating more food and feeling satisfied and success within that that window before we start taking food away and 
if the girls are on low calories, I just say, look, I can't take your calories lower than this. I just can't. I don't feel like if you want to do that, I'm, I'm not your coach. I just do not want to do that. Because to get ready for one show, one day, the aftermath is awful. And I know I'm talking a lot about physique shows now, but you know, a lot of girls use it for a Band-Aid and it is not a Band-Aid. It is, is not <coughs> gonna, it's only ignites and highlights bad eating behaviors, behaviors and disordered eating and, and um, disordered, uh, I guess, relationships with, with yourself. And I just don't want to do that. It's not worth that for me as a coach to put someone through that. So I always like to underline, let's build your calories up to this amount. If this feels safe with you, let's hit that milestone first. Let's reevaluate in three months' time after you're on this amount of calories. Let's see what's happening in your performance. Cool. Then let's make the next, next adjustment. Because I can tell someone what to do, but if they don't believe in that process, they're not going to do it. And so, you know, you always say trust the process. I always say it, but also trust the progress, I think is important. And if they're not progressing and they're not trusting the process, then there needs to be an intervention. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you actually began to touch on it at the end there. A lot of people, like in my experience, can actually see the logic underpinning what you're asking them to do, even when they're not willing to do it. Mm. And I think there's often something deeper that holds people back, particularly with things like gaining weight and changing your physique. I think like we become attached to a certain look or who we are or, mm. or something, and it's very, it's very hard to push people to that next step. And when you said trust the progress, I thought that was, a really, that was actually a really good solution to it. Something Alex has observed is... Oftentimes, people's reticence to like taking certain actions actually just fades way back once they start doing it and realizing all the benefits that they hadn't experienced. But one of the hardest things I find as a coach is getting people to just just trust you to make that first step because often it's very quick. How do you do that? Well, that's quite interesting. Something that just came to mind then was, you know, we say trust the process, but how the fuck do they know what the process is if they've never done it before? Like, mm. how are they meant to trust something that's they've never been through before and it's incredibly scary and and I think you know people that have been through you've done many powerlifting comps you've done weight cutting and, and gaining and so you know what the process is about now but what about in the beginning like that's definitely been the hardest thing to um to anchor girls to um particularly when it's yeah really overwhelming to either go on a diet or eat more food yeah I've found that a lot of people either they go one or two ways. They learn from experience, mm. so they make a mistake and then they change something and then it works, or they learn from someone else's experiences, mm. like from a coach who's who's been through it and improved themselves. Or even better, their peers. Something I've observed recently, and this is particularly true among my female clients, and particularly true of talking about things like gaining weight and cutting weight into competitions. In and Jacob Skeppis mentioned this when he was on the podcast recently. Is sometimes. They'll ask me a question and I'll say, look, this has been my experience. This is what I see of other people. But why don't you go talk to blah, you know, my mm. other client who asked me a similar question and took the course of action I suggested, see what they say. And very often because they can relate to them. I think yeah. a lot of people hold their coach up on high. Like a lot of your girls who are hiring, you probably go, wow, this is Hattie. She's one of the best athletes in the world. And I'm just Jane Doe at the gym. But when you can, like you have a big pool of clients, when you can say, hey, look at, Look at the other people who've engaged in this process and mm. seen results. You know, I'm giving them similar advice to what I'm giving you. That breeds a lot of belief, I think, mm. when you can look back at those experiences or direct them to those testimonials, I think. 
Yeah, like, say the girls, like, I'm taking you through the exact same process that I follow. There's no secret. This girl's not getting a better result because I've given her a secret method. We're all doing the same thing. And I think intention and effort needs to be um, taught at a really young, uh, at the beginning of their their training cycle um, or when they come into coaching. Um, because I don't, I think effort and intensity or intention um, isn't understood by people that are new to training. I think a lot of people think effort is, you know, less less um, less rest, sweating more, heart, heart pumping, and that's not necessarily what they should be doing. Effort is, you know, used as um, lifting heavier each week. Like that's what a lot of strength training is. Like effort is how much weight you're lifting, and trying to teach girls like, hey, it's the effort of how you are using. Um, movement, performance, skill, um, are you loading up the bar, time under tension, are you respecting your recovery, are you respecting your rest days, are you respecting your rest between sets? Um, yeah, it's discipline. So discipline. Just take it easy because you've got somewhere to be in 15 minutes. Like, you know, you actually, you do your rest periods properly, you warm up properly. It's those, it's those little, like, intangibles about training that actually sum up to an effective session, right? Training is a skill. Mm. Anyone can exercise. Not everyone can train. Yeah. There's a big difference between exercise and training. Massive. Um, And for a lot of the girls that um, I work with, they've never used a tempo before. Don't understand tempo. Um, So that's been really cool to teach people. If I can give some... If I can improve that one little thing... Like, I think you've done a post about this, Um, Alex. It was like that one, one little change makes the biggest difference in someone's outcome, how they perform the exercise... Uh, how heavy they can go, um, how they feel after a training session, how they feel going into a training session, um, how they squat, how they deadlift, how they bench. And, you know, it's those, really, it's those small pieces of nuggets which unlock so much, um, so much, what's the word? Like just give a greater outcome than these big overhauls of someone's training and nutrition. Mm. Um, I think the word you used intention is also a really valuable one Mm. because it says something about like focusing your attention and effort on like a particular goal or something that is directed at your goal. It might be one or two things per exercise that you really try and do, Mm. but it's your investment of conscious effort in them that actually makes that exercise effective. Whereas just going through the motions and, you know, just letting it happen around you can, can with what feels like a similar amount of effort, render it much less effective, you know? That's what I love about strength training. Everything is intention. Like, I don't know if you guys have like, um, when you go up to the bar, it's the same thing every time. Like, it's like this, uh, what's the word where you're um, superstitious? Or a routine. Like, yeah. I do it the same way every time. It's like, perfect practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. Every time you step in the gym, it's an opportunity, whether you're a bodybuilder or a strength trainee or someone just, that's just looking to improve their fitness. It is an opportunity for you to go in and improve yourself mentally and physically. That intention in every single rep, every single set, you walk out and you're just like, you were just in a world that was all about you and your performance and improving yourself. Like it is the most amazing thing that we get to do. That's why I love training. I reckon we should take a quick break there because that's a good point to finish on. We'll come right back with some more from Hattie. Weekly weights. No, Wait, <laughs> what? Oh, weekly weights. It's Weekly Weights, we're back on air. I'm Will Berkman, with us is Hattie Boydell, and also with us is Alex. Just a quick shout out, Alex. Hi, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Alex. Um, now, 
I was saying to Hattie just then that there's something kind of analogous about preparing for a powerlifting competition and preparing for a physique competition in that they both take, you know, a reasonable duration of time and they're a concerted effort aiming towards one day. Do you think there are transferable skills for for strength athletes and physique athletes? Like, are there things that you've learnt from focusing on one discipline or the other that you can you can help the other with? Definitely, um, looking at recovery. Are you recovering from the training load that you have? Um, stress management, I think, is a big one for a lot of girls. Um, you know, stress impacts your performance levels. It impacts fat loss, whether you're building muscle. Um, and so I've seen, I guess, a lot of girls, I tend to back their training off when stress levels get really high. Um, and even backing training, so going from five days to four days, has actually had a greater impact for some of the girls' physiques and also st- strength performance because they had more days to recover. Um, yeah, stress management's been a big one. And then... Yeah, managing nutrition when they have higher feeding days um, on their more demanding uh, training days. So um, my dog is currently <laughs> chewing hands. Uh, and then also um, diet breaks on their hardest training weeks, I have found has really helped with their performance. Um, and knowing that in that final week of um, whether it's like at the end of their 12 week block, where that week is, that month is really demanding. Um, and that final fourth week is super demanding, then, then we will, we will um, schedule in a diet break, so higher feeding of calories and carbohydrates in particular, um, so that they can really get the most out of that training. Then they'll have a deload week uh, and go back down into a lower calorie week as well. Yeah, I think that like prioritizing fatigue management or like, mm. performance and recovery um, and also accommodating lifestyle stress in your training and not just overloading yourself in training when the rest of your life is difficult those are themes that Alex and I have spoken about Mm -hmm. being important for successful powerlifting training. So that rings really true to me. Something I admire about physique athletes and that I think a lot of powerlifters could benefit from if they're interested in performance is, is the way in which physique athletes make, make their sport sort of like a whole of life endeavor. They worry about their nutrition. Mm. You know, they make sure to go to bed early. Like they actually live a lifestyle conducive to their sport. Are there certain things that you do outside the gym that you think most help your training that maybe powerlifters could benefit from? I think I mentioned before I paid someone to stretch me twice a week because I wasn't doing it myself. <laughs> um, look, I'm I love um, whether this is relevant to them is like I love meditation. Uh, meditation work and journaling has always been great in terms of the psychology side of things and. Um, staying within uh, I guess a self energy and a cognitive window because when we get ready for whether it's a show or a competition suddenly everything's really rigid right we don't want to stray off off task we uh, track our sleep track our food track our training we get caught up on if we've had a good training session or not and and we start to become quite um, internally I guess stressed in a way so that's why stress management is a big um, thing that I like to focus on with myself and the girls. And I find that journaling and meditation has really helped with that. Um, but I've also been working with a neuroscientist, um, which has been quite interesting. Luke Tullock? Not Luke. Uh, her name's Michelle. And um, she's. I've been working with her because I found that a lot of the girls, including myself years ago, um, 
were really suffering after fitness shows. And I was like, how can I work around this? And so I started working with the neuroscientists to start to get the girls to track their nervous system. And, you know, within that is if you're highly in hyper arousal, so you're highly stressed and anxious, going and doing a hard, heavy training session, whether it's a hit session, a heavy squat session, a heavy deadlift session, that's not the right training for your system at that time. Um, so that's been, um, I've kind of implemented that into my own training systems and getting to know, like, and wearing an aura ring, so HRV, tracking my HRV. Um, and then being able to make um, pretty conscious decisions on when is the best day to go all out um, or when do I have to change certain training sessions around based off where my sleep and recovery is at. So you mentioned some physical stuff and you know going through ups and downs during your prep physically. What about mentally? How do you deal with ups and downs of prep? I don't think I've ever done a competition prep without crying. <laughs> So when the girls start crying, I'm like, it's okay, I'm here, I'm holding it for you. Yeah, I um, cry after my performances. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on review, four, four that was a bad life. idea. Yeah. I mean, my entire life revolves around this. You know, when it's 20 weeks out and the dieting starts, um, as I said, things get pretty rigid. Mm. Um, and my life pretty much revolves around that show. And I like to... <laughs> I like to... like I'm, I guess the thing I've learned over the years is to become quite self-aware and saying just being aware of the chatter and why I feel a certain way and what triggers are of that how do I I mean as I said meditation and journaling has definitely helped with my mindset but at the end of the day it's me versus me and am I following my process am I getting the desired outcome that I need how's my sleep what's going on with you know am I putting too much on my training plate once I, I can look at those variables, I, it's easy to make a change in that way and then see how that feels mentally. But it's generally towards the end when I'm really tired and my personality seems to go um, that things can get a little bit wobbly. And we don't often see ourselves as we look, but how we feel. That's whether you're in season or off season. And so I always say to my girls, language is important. The language we use towards ourselves is really important. And having photos measurements a training program which outlays actually what's really real and happening has always been a really great anchor to know and recheck in with myself or how am i feeling mentally um but it's you know it's my passion i'm i, I want to be number one in the world again it's what i'm spending thousands of dollars on and hours and hours and hours in the gym it means something to me of course i'm going to get emotional about it but at the end of the day, am I doing the things I said I want to do? Yes. And that's what I have to focus on. And I teach my girls, it's like, you know, when we get on stage, when you get on stage, everyone, it's, it's a clean slate. No one's a champion. That is the opportunity that we take on to be the champion. But even if we don't win, we're not less of a person. I'm not, I'm not less than that person. I'm not a worse person. I didn't do a good job in the lead up to my show. And that's always helped with me mentally. You know, the only pe the person that can steal our own success away is ourselves. And so I've done that before. I did that when I won. <laughs> I learned the hard way. Now it's all about like, what do I do to take myself to the next level? How do I outperform myself? Well, this is what I do every single day, week in, week out with my training process. 
how I get up on stage is an accumulation of all that 20 weeks of work or that year's worth of work and now it's time to have fun. Mm. And I'll, and that's, you know, of course I'm disappointed when I don't win. Of course. I've just fucking spent so much hours in the gym doing that. But it was amazing and I wouldn't have had it any other way. And then you just go back to the drawing board and I do it again because I love the sport. Like, even if you don't, if, like, you show up on your comp days and you might miss your lift. doesn't mean that you're not strong. You're fucking strong, right? Yeah. You're strong. Like, Debatable. <laughs> and you probably outperformed the last time that you did before that. Like, you're hitting personal yeah. best what you did before. We're called weekly weights for a reason. Don't we? <laughs> E-A-K week. No, but every time we compete, we're just getting better in some way. There's, there's no way you can't get better without continuing to come back under the bar or on the stage. Yeah, I think those reflective skills as well that you're highlighting are really important because looking back and saying, what have I achieved? What have I learned? How am I better this time? You take lessons from doing that that then help you push forward to new heights, right? You know, yeah. even when you don't have an overt win, like you might not have the comp you're looking for, but you might say, wow, you know, shit, I did get a lot better in all these respects. I just couldn't pull it together on the day. Next time I'll carry those things forward and do better, mm. right? Yeah. Um, how important do you think hobbies are outside of the gym to sort of de-stressing you and relaxing you and keeping you focused when you're actually in the gym so important what are some of the the hobbies that you have outside of the gym i love going out dancing (laughs) i like sitting in nature into the trees um catch up with friends i think it's really important to stay on top of relationships they're the things that get pushed to the side i think with a lot Mm. of competitions it's a very selfish sport you're looking at me very pointedly. No, 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 no. It's a very, like, no, hobbies are so important. And this is actually what I said to one of my girls the other week. I'm like, what do you do outside of work and training? You need to do something that has nothing to do with food and exercise. Nothing. Don't go go for a walk. That's exercise. I want you to do, I want you to hang out with your friends. I want you to go dancing. Fucking go play balls. I don't know. Do something. Like, you know, do something that's fun. I think it's really important. I think, oh, be creative. Draw, paint write letters love letters I don't know like do something that's you know really good for the soul sit in the sun watch the clouds I love trees so I love like sitting in a park and I, and I think that's really important because as I said we can get so rigid everything's so yang where's the yin even going like this isn't a hobby but you know focusing on mobility work and, and downtime go sit in a what's it called like a the baths the uh, magnesium baths anything that's going to pull you back out of your sympathetic nervous system, you know, into your parasympathetic system. Yeah, it also gives you something to, like, value about yourself other than the gym, right? Yeah. You know, like, shit, I achieved this at writing love letters today. I'm better at writing love letters yeah. than this today. <gasps> Go, Will. Your, your biggest hobby, Will, is the Wallabies, which is terrible. Yeah, well, yeah that's been really difficult. <laughs> My training's gotten way better in the past four or five years while the Wallabies have been fucking shit. <laughs> um, how do you... You coach, you coach a number of... Oh, not uh, do you only coach women i only coach women yeah so obviously you coach a large number of them Mm -hmm. and the stereotype is that female physique athletes are a little bit emotional and highly strong Um, (laughs) so this isn't a gotcha moment but would you say that's true you can blink once if it's true it depends on the individual she did she She hasn't i didn't blink (laughs) no it depends on the individual um, particularly girls that have never done it before. Yeah, they're, as I said, like, how do you trust the process when you've never been through it before? It's scary. You've gone from just training in the gym, looking good, to now I'm about to be judged. Something comes over them. Mm. You're about to be compared to other women. 
on how you look on how you look like that is fucking tough mm. you know and uh, I love this sport because I don't do that <laughs> I, I just love it because it's about me <laughs> you know yeah. cool um, but it's it's tough on the girls and yeah they can be they can be demanding it can be really emotional it can be um, it takes them into hyper arousal where they're highly anxious highly rigid if something doesn't go their way it's the end of the world they go from having a balanced mindset to a fixed mindset or a growth mindset to a fixed mindset it has to be this way and so what I try and teach the girls is there's more than one way to skin a cat there's more there's multiple destination there's multiple routes to the same destination and I think that's really important to have it ebb and flow and be able to be flexible which is why I like to do flexible dieting I want to see I encourage girls I want to see variety in your diets I don't want to see you eating the same thing every day you know have variety and when you have your recovery day if you wake up and you're so sore I don't want you to train that day I want you to have a rest day train the next day you know you don't like trying to teach people flexibility I think is really important and having that growth or like a bit of a beginner or balanced mindset where you're open to learning different outcomes and different things rather than just being it's only this way and I think there's an art to coaching as you guys know and troubleshooting and if someone's not getting the result they want we need to look at well why What's happening? What's not happening? Are they following their, are they pre-planning their meals? Are they getting stronger in the gym? What time are they getting to bed? <laughs> How much sleep are they getting? How much emotional stress is happening? What's happening in their menstrual cycle? Do we need to change their macros coming into their cycle? Do we need to do a DUP style of training to, to, to work in with their cycle because there's someone that just gets really beaten up at that time of month? I think that's really important to be able to do with an individual client because no one responds the same. So what are the soft skills then that you as a coach are relying on to, um, to sort of get people through that phase of really high anxiety, you know, when they're a new, when they're a new competitor? I do what's called office hours or coaching calls, um, each week with my girls twice a week. And, um, that's where I encourage the girls to bring to the table what they're showing, what's showing up for them. Is where this they're struggling. private or is it group? It's in a group. Yeah. It's in a group. Everyone's, uh, we learn more from it, from ourselves. We learn more about ourselves when we do listening to others. And um, not everyone's willing to step into the arena and say what they're struggling with. Everyone wants to be you know, the, the, the perfect client. And we're, we're all far from that. I'm not the perfect client. I never have been. But I do my best. And I think 70% is always better than 0%. And so in that space, I encourage the girls, talk to me what's going on. You're not the only one experiencing this. Let me assure you. We're not, like she's not. And I'll ask them a series of questions. Um, how's your sleep? Let's look at your training program. Let's look at your training performance. Are you pre-planning your meals the day before? Have you got variety? What's happening with your digestion? Um, your stress levels at work. And you know, I had a girl today, She, her, her measurements have just, she put on two kilos in like two weeks or four kilos in two weeks. Her stress is through the roof. She doesn't know she's gonna lose her job. She works in a prison, like she works as a, um, on an island um, with prisoners like she's got a really traumatic job but to lose that job is even more traumatic mm-hmm. like it was and, and, and you see it in the system and it's like I just had to bring her back into this space and get her to share and air it out and let her cry and then okay and I always ask them what do you feel like you can handle what feels okay for you right now because me saying well you still need to track your food and you still need to do this you go to the gym that's too much for them that's not what they they can do right now so how, what strategy or what course is right for that person at that time? When stress is left, has gone down and energy levels pick up, they're going to let me know that they can train more. 
and that's what we work with. You know, she's not on a she's not someone that's competing, so we've got some we've got some time. But I think the most important thing is getting them to feel safe within a community, but also feeling safe within themselves. Do you find that over time, people who are involved in that type of program with you? become better at like self-management and self-analysis and they start coming to you with solutions and almost self-coaching more? That's what I teach with the girls. So I would say a transformation of mastery and skill within themselves Um, because eventually like they're going to leave me and that's exactly what they need to do. But they have skills to how, how to regulate themselves. They know how to journal. They know how to meditate. They know how to ask certain questions within themselves. They know when they're out of self-energy, when they're feeling highly strong, and then what brings them back to being in a self-energy. I think that's really important to learn how to self-regulate. And there's questions that I get the girls to ask themselves. It's like, okay, what are you doing well? And I like get them to write out all the things they're doing well. One, for the fact that they can acknowledge, hey, I'm actually, even though I feel like I'm in a bad space, all these things around me are happening. I'm still doing this, this, and this really well. So we appreciate and acknowledge what we're doing well. Then they write out what I need help with. What can I improve on? So one, what I need help with, they bring that to me. What can I improve on? They know that if they put a strategy together, if we create a strategy for them, what they could improve on will become what they're doing well. So it's like a really nice cycle, like mental cycle, that once we've created a plan of action, that they can follow this eventually is going to be what they're doing really well and then what are your wins i think the hardest thing for people to celebrate is what they're actually succeeding at and we're always doing something really well whenever we feel like we're not we are there's something that we're doing well and so for my girls i want them to acknowledge that of course not you know hide things under the carpet and not bring to the table what we need to work on there's a reason you're not getting a result right so what's that What's that piece of the puzzle? How do we create a strategy? One that they can implement and then that we, that, that we can move forward with. Um, I think that's a really salient point maybe to end on from a coaching perspective. Alex, do you have any more questions? Um, no, you just mentioned a lot of stuff that requires a lot of understanding from you about the principles of sort of everything that goes into creating um, a successful athlete in any sphere, whether it's training principles whether it's nutrition principles whether it's stress management etc how do you think coaches out there can improve their systems like what are some ways that they can sort of implement these kind of things that you're talking about into their own coaching I think it's important that they go through their own coaching process themselves you know be a client themselves that was you know I remember when I first started out I didn't want to have a coach because I wanted to give myself my own kudos and you know that that hit a ceiling and it wasn't till I went and got and got other coaches that I learned so one how to be a client right how to be accountable to myself um but also learning different systems and I've had multiple coaches all with different systems and what I just did was take the things that worked really well for me, but I also have backups, you know, because mm. not everything's going to work for one person. Mm. And so I, I highly recommend that you get a really good coach and you learn. You're going to learn what you do like and what you don't like and be open that there's more than one way to skin a cat. Um, but even put yourself in a time pressure. Like, 
I think if you want to work with athletes, I think it's important to know what it feels like to be an athlete, whether you just do one powerlifting competition or one fitness competition or even a marathon or whatever it is, CrossFit, whatever it is that you want. But learn what it's like to be under pressure and go through that mindset. I had a, um, had a client actually today. Um, she just started with me. She's a coach. And she had a bit of a breakdown and said, I, I did my check-in photos today and I burst out crying. I was so upset. I, you know, I, was so, I didn't even want to send them to you. She was so, it was really hard for her. And I, and I said, well, thank you so much for sharing that with me. And she shared that in front of 30 girls. And I said, have you ever been a coach? Uh, have you ever been a client before? She said, no. And I said, well, what a beautiful way to learn what your clients feel like. Because they're doing that to her. And I think it's really important to experience that. And now she's got compassion instead of just saying, well, you've got to do this and this is the process. It's like, hold on. This is a scary space for someone to show what they look like, <coughs> right? Like to a male, you know, a female to a male coach. Like you're in your underwear and bra and you've, like you're in this position where you want to change your physique. That's really daunting for a female that maybe you haven't experienced or you don't know about. Um, I do send lots of pictures of myself in underwear yeah, to women um, <laughs> for what it's worth. So, so plenty want, of empathy there. If you want any more of those, just um, hit up Will on Instagram. What's your Instagram, Will? He's got plenty in the phone. <laughs> yeah, I've got them stocked up from last time I died. He'll send them to you as a DM. Oh, stocked up from when you died? Well, what about yeah, well, you? Right now, I don't think the lens is wide enough. <laughs> well, it was, you know, it was a really... I thought it was quite a beautiful space to be in with that person and, yeah. and you know, and something I say is like, you're not going to get any worse than this. So like, this is a, I said that at the end, I didn't say it at the beginning. That's not, that, yeah. So, I was going to say, it does it quite well, all no, the time. No, but it was um, a really nice way of, of reflection and, and, um, and it is daunting for someone to, to, they're so vulnerable. When our clients come to us, they are so vulnerable. They they come to us because they want to make a change because they've done everything else and it's not, not working. And that's hard. Like that's that's a lot of effort and time. And and let me tell you, women, women, wow, they are hard workers. They will, they will, do whatever. Like their their mindset is like resilient. But does that work in their favour all the time? No. And that's been something that I've had to learn myself, and also learn how to coach clients. Is sometimes we have to pull back to move forward. That's a hard one. Whoops. <laughs> um, my dog grunting. Yeah. yeah. Um, You've bored him. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Digby. <laughs> yeah. So that was. I mean, I love working with women, and um, to be able to teach them how to have confidence within themselves, like that is the most fulfillment for me that I could possibly ever get from a client. Like, people can change their physiques within six weeks, twelve weeks. Can they shift? how they feel about themselves and how they view the world and the language they use and and the journeys that they go on within their own mind that takes time and that's for me the greatest achievement with any client that I have because that's a that's the journey that I've been on um and that's you know that's why I love working with the girls with a lot of their mental work not just the physical work cool all right take a break yeah Right, we're going to have another quick break and then we're going to hit Hattie with the four questions that tell us everything that we need to know about a person. Welcome back to Weekly Weights. We're here with Hattie and she has decided to fly blind (laughs) on the four questions that tell us everything we need to know about a person. Are you ready? Yeah. All right, so question one is if you could take 
Oh, anyone out to dinner, dead or alive, <laughs> who would it be? You were so much uh, more worried than this warranted, by the way, but you're gone. The Rock. No, oh, we've had that answer before. That's interesting. Yes. Why? Why, Dwayne? He's, he's just an incredible human being. He's a family man. He's fucking hot. He's a big... He's a hard worker. He's humble. He's a go-getter. Like, you just... He's just so... He's such an eccentric energy and person, personality. Like, I just think there's not many people like him in this world. He's just... He just seems like the most beautiful human in the world. That seems like all's... a cool dude. Yeah. Would you call him Dwayne or Mr. Rock? Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson. <laughs> Mr. Johnson. Oh, she's so lucky. <laughs> He's so hot. I love him. Um, I used to watch WWE wrestling when I was like 12 years old, and he was my favorite. When it was Doughy Rock. So, if you smell what the rock is cooking, you so <laughs> This is interesting. Apparently, before he was the rock, he actually had a, like he had sort of another character that he played where he was basically just like a Samoan dude who wore like a like a gross skirt or whatever. I'll take it. And <laughs> and he was yeah, well he was like sort of a bit goofy and like and benign and no one liked him and so he reinvented himself as the rock who was like a real heel and a bit of a dickhead and really arrogant and he became like, you know, one of the most popular wrestlers of all time, but it completely changed his persona. I did not know that. Yeah. I actually watched a really interesting YouTube video um, called like why there will never be another another show like Monday Night Raw or whatever it was. Oh, it used to crush back in the day. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's really interesting. So this um, this YouTube thing goes into how how Monday Night Raw or whatever it was called was like the center of the the fight between WWF at the time mm. and the other wrestling federation mm-hmm. in the United States, and they were basically fighting for dominance of. Um, of like TV in the audience and there was it's really interesting there was like underhanded plays between them where the commentators on the other the other show would try and ruin fights that were going to happen on WWE or WWF and stuff at the time yeah crazy and you listen to it and like what's his name Vince whatever Vince Vaughn Vince Vince, Vince Vaughn the actor. No, Um, uh, McMahon. Vince McMahon. Oh, Vince McMahon, yeah. I was like, Vince Vaughn, what? (laughs) So he, like, you know, he plays the evil corporate head or whatever, obviously, in in WWE or F. Um, But he himself was driving it, like, from an entrepreneur standpoint and really thinking, like, what can we do to change the game and change the way in which wrestling is viewed? Because at the time it was just pay per view. Yeah, crazy. It's super interesting. I used to Everyone watch should all watch the pay per views. When um, like stab all night. Really? Yeah, I was so into it. Have it's you guys so seen the Andre the Giant docker? No. Oh, they go into how there was like <coughs> there was like eighty wrestling federations in America at one point. That's like nuts. there was like one for each little like segment of each state. It was like mm. a complete joke. And then Vince McMahon brought them all together. Yeah, well, that was like the first thing that he did. Highly recommend watching that. It's okay. on YouTube. Literally, just why there will never be another TV show like WWE. That's or... probably the most we've ever spoken about wrestling on the show. <laughs> yeah, the weird thing is, I don't even like no, wrestling that much. I don't like it, but I find it oh, so I, interesting, and I like no, I like the memes. There's so many good memes. Oh, I love memes. Yeah. Gifs and memes. I'm like, yeah. It's, All right. it's gifs. Oh, is it sorry, gifs? gifs. Graphic image. Oh, yeah, it makes sense. So it's gifs. It's a gif. Graphic gif. Graphic image. If you say style. gif out there, you're you're wrong. Oh, that's, that's a me. type of lolly only. No, gif is like a GIF cleaning pe- product. <laughs> oh, that's right. No, don't <laughs> eat it. <laughs> it's like eating the, bleach. The peanut butter. Yeah. Is it? Oh, yeah, yeah it is that too. All, all right, right, Alex. Anyway, question two. Question two. Who is your favorite athlete of all time? So this could be any sport. 
Damn, now I wish I knew these before me. Oh, Serena Williams. She we have had that answer too. Yeah, we have had that a few times. Why Serena? Oh my God, she has just paved the way for um, so many... Like, she's got the most grand slams. Um, she's just... She's a great speaker. She's a... She represents women so beautifully. Um, she might be the most competitive person I think I've ever heard talk as well. She's She's nuts. intelligent. She's smart. She's... Oh, she's just one of the most yeah amazing women and athletes in the entire all sports. She might actually be the greatest athlete of all time. That's a big call. I think if I, I think if I were to make a short list, I think she'd be in the top five. She still hasn't overtaken Margaret Court, I don't think, for the Grand Slams thing. Not that Margaret Court's got a huge lot of fans right now because she keeps saying anti-gay things, but. Mm. But I think Serena hasn't quite caught her, but to have done what she's done in the professional era is... I think she's clearly, clearly the greatest tennis player of all time. Clearly the greatest tennis player? Or I, female tennis I was going to say, I think she's the greatest female tennis player. I think Djokovic, Nadal and Federer could all make a reasonable claim at being the greatest male tennis player of all time at the moment. Like, I still think Federer is the best. Yeah, but... Oh. In terms of, like, total resume, greatest of all time is Federer. He could be overtaken. Yeah, but even then, there are, you know, there are some old-time tennis players, like even Rob Laver, like a couple of grand, like actual Grand Slams, all four in a year. Like, I don't know. Anyway, Serena Williams, good answer. Let's <laughs> let's move on to question three. Which movie or television character do you most resemble? <laughs> what? What? Which, Which what? movie or television character do you most resemble? Oh, it's got to be like a, a female like superhero or something. You reckon? You did just do the power pose. You no, went hands on No, I was like hips. a pixie or like... <laughs> you could be a Tinkerbell. I could kind of see that. Uh, but I'm not as sweet as her. Um, <laughs> Alex oh. is actually really good at answering this one for the guests. He goes through their Instagram like he is now. And he just picks out a photo and says you look like block. I can't think of one. Um, surely there's something. <laughs> Someone drew a really cool like... Uh, picture of me the other day definitely didn't have my proportions but I was like oh that looks really awesome is that the one where you look like a cartoon character yeah um, I have a funny one um, you know bring it on <laughs> and there's the there's the blonde chick and when she goes through is that Kirsten Dunst that's pretty funny not her there's another one where there's like cartoon. a really sassy blonde cheerleader I could kind of see you being that I used to say I was the yellow Power Ranger, but she was Asian, so <laughs> I don't think we resemble was each other. Was it the pink? Oh, <laughs> no, right, I didn't realise the subtle... My sister always took subtle... the pink one, and I was like, well, fine, I'll be the yellow. <laughs> I didn't realise the subtle racism, so you got, like, the yellow Power Ranger is Asian, and then obviously the pink but one But I, I can do, girl. like, the Grinch... Okay. Grinch... <laughs> yeah, let's go with the Grinch then. <laughs> All right. Okay, Hattie. Question four. Your life is being made into a montage... Okay. And you get to pick the music that you set it to. Oh, she really what song would you pick? Um, damn. Should have got these questions for it. Um, it's got to be something dancey. Because I'm happy. Da, 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 da. Oh, that Pharrell, so Pharrell Williams. Really? Yeah. Okay. That's it. Happy. Okay, cool. That's kind of cute. Yeah. I, was, I was honestly expecting something a lot more yeah, I was EDM. E I was expecting something like... You said you like going out dancing. I was expecting yeah, I like dancey, dancey vibes. Yeah. What do you dance to? What genre? Uh, I like I like a disco, hip hop, house, techno, um, deep house. 
Yeah, I don't like. Uh, I don't really like, like, what is it, EDC or that kind of stuff. But I don't know what EDC is. Like EDM. I don't like that. Means electric dance. Well, I don't like. I don't like. Like um. I don't like. Oh, but like house and trance, well, like I trance, or like um, no, like, like, like dubstep. Dubstep is shit. What's the other one that's, that I really hate? The um, <laughs> the really doof doofy one. The one that Yanni likes. What's what's that genre called? Uh, hardstyle. Yeah, hardstyle. Terrible. No, but there's like um, what's the there's a particular DJ that I really his stuff I don't like. DJ Otzi. No, he's got long hair. <laughs> oh, Skrillex. I don't like him either. No, do not like Skrillex. Uh, well, shout out Skrillex. Sorry, mate. We're supposed to be coming on the podcast next week. <laughs> yeah, we've got to remix the week from the theme song. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay, we'll but we're going with... We'll take Pharrell Williams happy. Yeah. That's okay. All right. I, you, I feel like something like that or something like a little bit like... More intense. I'm intense. Happy Sandstorm. slash the final countdown. Sandstorm. <laughs> Sandstorm. I love Sandstorm. All right. Hattie, thank you so much for joining us. Um, for those of us who don't already know where to find you on the internet, can you just give people your contact details, social media, anything you'd like? Mobile phone number. <laughs> I won't get back to you. Um, PO box. <laughs> so my Instagram is Hattie Boydell and then uh, website is www.sportsmodelproject.com. Cool. Well, I'm Will Berkman on Instagram. That's at w.berkmanpt. And I'm Alex Hayes on Instagram at alexhayes underscore process. <laughs> and we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank Thanks, guys.